This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Well, this morning we're going to continue our series this summer. We've, we started a series about six, seven weeks into it called Questions. And we thought it would be important for us as a church to spend some time talking about the questions that society is asking, but are pretty difficult to answer. And so we thought we would handle it straight on and we would address maybe the top nine questions and give us an opportunity to talk about them because there's a lot of people asking questions these days. In fact, every single one of us, we ask lots of questions. Ever since uh, we're able to talk, we start asking questions because we're longing for truth. We search for truth. Every day we ask small questions, we ask large questions, because when we find truth, there's some settling effect in our life that allows us to just kind of feel stable because we have clarity or we, we have direction. And so we're talking through these questions and we're wanting to talk about questions that are fairly significant that we believe have a profound impact upon your life. How you answer these and how you apply them to your life will have a great impact, not only in the life that you live here, but also in your future life after you spend time with Jesus or whoever that might be. And so we've been talking about lots of different questions. We talked first of all about, is God real? Uh, I would encourage you to listen to that. We believe that he is. Can I hear an amen? Uh, we talked about, is the Bible true? Uh, we actually had a week where we talked about, uh, why does God allow evil and pain and suffering? It was a great session that we talked about. We also talked about, why does a just God allow injustice? We talked a little bit about money and why would the church have any opinion or idea or ask for money? And we even talked about, do all religions lead to God. And then last week, I think kind of the pinnacle of the series, uh, we talked about why is the church so uptight about sex? And uh, Pastor Ken Malman, you did an incredible job. Put your hands together for Pastor Ken. I'm glad I didn't have that topic. He took it. It was an amazing job. Some of you that missed it, you should probably go online. You can actually listen to any one of these messages as well as there's a lot of resources and blog posts and book resources that are available for free. You just go onto our website, citybiblechurch.org, click on the questions banner, and it'll take you right to a page where you can look at a lot of the things that we're talking about. As we started this series, we we wanted to do this series for two big ideas. The first one is we believe that there are millions of people today that are searching for truth. That really they're, they're genuinely asking for some kind of answer to these deep holes and deep pockets in their life. Jesus promised us, John 8, 32, he says that we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. That when we find that place where we actually find absolute truth, there's freedom in that portion of our life or that aspect of our life because now we have truth that brings the subtlety to that one area of our life. So we thought, again, with millions of people asking, let's bring some truth to help those that are searching for truth. Secondly, we wanted to do this series because we believe that there's many people that are asking you the questions that we're answering. And so the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, always be ready to give an account 
for the hope that lies within you. And God wants us as Jesus followers to have truth in us so that when the world comes asking us, that we can give them an honest, logical, intelligent, loving answer to their questions. That's the whole big idea behind this this series that we're talking about. So this morning, we're going to jump in and we're going to talk about another question. This would be the second of the last of this series. And we're going to talk about this one question, am I good enough to get to heaven? It's interesting because as you survey the American population today, 80% of all people surveyed in America believe that they're going to heaven when they die. And when you ask them the question why, they would say this, because I'm basically a good person. And that seems to be logical. I mean, when you really think about this idea, I mean, it kind of goes like this if you think about it sequentially. First of all, there's this, there's this good God and he has this good place that's reserved for good people. And if you do what you're supposed to do and be good and do good, you get to go to that place. It's kind of like Christmas. If you do good, Santa knows who's been naughty or nice. There's some presents that come your way. If you're a good kid, if not, you're going to get coal in your stocking, right? And so ever since we're young, we're, we're brought up in this culture that teaches us this reward system. If you go to school and you get good grades, you get to graduate to the next grade, right? If you're at a job and you do well at your job, you might get a promotion, you might get a raise, something good might happen to you. Even at home, when you're, you're, you're good as a child and as you're growing up, we had the little star chart on our refrigerator. We used to do that with our kids. And if you brush your teeth, you get a star. And if you do good, you're going to get a star. And if you make your bed and clean your room and all those kinds of things, you get these stars. And at the end of the week, if you have enough stars, we're going to treat you to a tofu omelet or whatever it is that you do for your kids, right? And so Whatever it might be, we're grown up in this society to think that if we do good, good things will happen. And it seems logical. It seems right that when it comes to this idea of heaven, if I'm basically good and I do good, then why wouldn't God allow me into heaven based upon my goodness? And you start thinking about this and think, well, what are some of the other options? What if the antithesis was the case? What if the criteria was you had to be a bad person to go to heaven? Well, that, that doesn't, it's, it's almost unthinkable. I mean, you think about it and go, well, that doesn't seem to work. In fact, when you look at the 6,000 religions and so-called Christian cults, Almost every single one of them have a good works system in them. That if you do good, you can make yourself to one of the levels of heaven. Some of the world religions would teach that you're reincarnated into something better. Maybe you get to be a better person instead of a a cricket or whatever it might be. And so there's all of these systems that say, if you do good here, when you get there, it will be better. I think that there's some hurdles to that kind of thinking. And again, logically, naturally, it kind of fits into where we're at. But how does that really fit into God's economy and what God thinks about eternity? 
I think we have to start with the first realization that you and I are guaranteed of one thing. We're going to die. Isn't that exciting? You get to die. I mean, it's inevitable. You can't escape it. For a lot of people today, it's one of the biggest fears of their life, knowing that someday it's going to be all over. And if the majority of people today believe that they're going to die and go somewhere, 96%, if you add all the other religions and different places you can go beyond heaven, 96% of people think that they're going to die and then there will be an afterlife. There'll be something that will happen to them. They're going to go somewhere. And again, for most Americans, they would say, well, that is either heaven or hell. Now, we would have limited knowledge of what those places actually look like. In fact, next week, we're going to do a message called, What Happens to Me When I Really Die? We're going to talk about some of the options and what really happens when you die. You're not going to want to miss that. But I think that it would be safe to say today that most people, if I was to ask you, how many of you today want to go to hell? There probably wouldn't be many hands. Come on, how many people want to go to hell? I mean, let's see a couple, show a hand. Usually there's, you want to go to hell. No, it's hell, not heaven. Thank you. Just want to clarify because we'll do an altar call right now. I mean, she's been in the church about 30 years and she's going, yeah, me, please. <laughs> you know, I was, uh, I was downtown talking with this one guy and he, he actually told me, yeah, I want to go to hell so I can party with my buddies. <laughs> and I'm thinking, how stupid can you be and still breathe? I mean, when you, when you really think about it, now, he's anonymous, so I'm not picking on him. But when you really think about it, I wanted to douse him in gasoline, huck a match on him, and as he's, as he's lit up, I would light up and have a beer and say, let's party, bro, all right? It just doesn't make sense. Even society today glamorizes the demonic and evil and hell and darkness and all these movies and the whole gothic movement. And you go into the music industry and you see groups like ACDC. I mean, one of their greatest selling albums was I'm on a highway to hell. It sold over 7 million copies. And you see stadiums filled with kids going, I'm on a highway to hell. I mean, really? I think when it boils down to it and you move aside just kind of the pop culture, I think every one of those kids, I think every person that's born would say, I don't want to go there. I'd rather spend eternity in a good place. Unfortunately today, the majority of people would say that I'm just going to be good and I'll get there. Let's look at some hurdles this morning. I want to look at five hurdles and talk about why I think and why the Bible thinks and why God thinks that this isn't a good system to get to heaven. Maybe you're here, maybe you're listening online, and you've based your whole entire eternal destiny upon this one idea. And I understand it. It seems logical. But let's talk about some reasons of maybe why you should think of another option. I'm going to give you five hurdles. The first hurdle is this. We don't exactly know how good is good enough. When it really boils down to it, again, we can't seem to define it. If you take all the different religions and 
We put them all in a room and we say, okay, we want to have this big religion summit and we're going to try to write out this definition. It seems like we have a hard time even defining what is good. We can't even qualify what it looks like. And when you look at every religion, they try to attempt to do it because they're basing the entry point to eternity based upon what they believe good looks like. In most cases, what they do is they use this analogy kind of grading on the curve. That most of us are good and sometimes we're bad and the more good things we do seem to cancel out the bad things. If we're better than other people or maybe witness more, we can be one of the 144,000 that will get to heaven or whatever it might be. But you know, I look at that and I, I recognize if we have an analogy, I, I think there's a breakdown to that simply because there's always people better than us and worse than us. Our tendency is to find people worse than us because we like to make ourselves feel better about ourselves, right? So let's say that we're living in a neighborhood and on the left of me and us, you're my roommate, lives Charlie Manson and Ted Bundy. I mean, it's an interesting neighborhood. Old Chuck's out mowing the lawn. It seems like he's got an edge on his shoulder. I mean, you recognize that this is a unique neighborhood. Those are some, anybody have any unique neighbors? Your neighbor's probably sitting next to you, be careful. But you know, you look at your neighborhood and go, wow, those people are, I mean, they're, they're whacked. Well, think of it was Ted and Chuck, right? But let's say on the other side over here lives Mary Poppins and Mother Teresa. You know, life's a jolly all the day with Mary and I mean, it's kind of, it's got the little penguins and umbrellas and kind of always happy. If you're honest with yourself, our tendency would be is to look over to Chuck and Ted and say we're better. We can always find someone better than ourselves. But then if we look to the right and we look at our other neighbors, we look at Mother Teresa and Mary Poppins, how many know you fall short maybe of what Mother Teresa has done? Always find someone better. You can always find someone worse. Even Jesus himself said this, that kind of thinking is not good enough. When you go to your Bible and you look at Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 27, it's, it's, it's a story of a guy that thought that way. He's called the rich young ruler. And he comes up to Jesus and says, what must I do to have eternal life? In other words, he's saying, what must I do to get to heaven? And Jesus says, well, you know the answer, don't you? And he goes, yeah, of course, I've kept all the commandments. I haven't killed, I don't steal, I don't murder. I honor my parents and my father, my mother, la, 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 la. And Jesus says this to him. That ain't gonna cut it. That isn't gonna make it. There's one thing that you lack is that you put the emphasis upon what you can do not what I've done. In other words, Jesus is saying this. You've spent your whole life trying to be good and perfect, but you're going to walk away sad because being good is not good enough. Your list, you can't put it together. That's simply not good enough. And without trying to be political or trying to use this, this moment to say something, but I want to be honest, when, when you look at other religions and you look at what's happening right now at the headlines of our news, 
You see what's taking place, the, the atrocity that's happening in Iraq right now. You know, when you step back from it, and you were, if you were to actually interview those people that are actually martyring all of those people, they actually think they're doing good. They actually think that entrance into paradise is through the annihilation of other religious people and systems. So again, we have this challenge. What is good? How do we even define it? When you look at different religions and different people, we all have this different kind of scale and definition. So I don't think that works. That's a hurdle. So let's look at hurdle number two. How about this one? Our internal moral compass may lead us astray. Now, each of us have this thing called a conscience or a moral compass, and it's intended to help us understand the difference between right and wrong, and I believe its root system is found in God. We talked about that during week one of the series. But I also believe that culture, circumstance, separation from God, or those kinds of things, can actually alter your compass, your moral compass, and what you perceive to be right for you, and we live in a, co a country today that has this idea of relativity, that your right isn't necessarily my right, meaning my compass points to a different north than yours points. When you look at a, a tribe that's in New Guinea, for instance, there's this one tribe that they were studying, and they actually feel... And they, they, they teach, it's a whole part of their culture, that betrayal of another person after gaining their acceptance is a virtue. So I'm going to do everything I can to gain your trust, to love you, to be your friend. And the moment I get you there to betray you, that would be a virtue. When missionaries went into that city and began to teach them about Jesus, they couldn't compute all of these different teachings until they started talking about Judas, who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And all of a sudden, the tribe leaders and everybody got up and they started cheering, going, "Woo!" They were excited because they actually saw a religion that would align with their moral compass, even though it might have been off. And if we just step back and we look at our country today, and you look at where our country was even 100 years ago, if you were to take out a compass, a moral compass, and look at the way that we lived and the things that we did, we would recognize that the compass even today for our nation is pointing a different direction than maybe it was 100 years ago. When you look at the area of sex, as Pastor Ken so eloquently talked about last week, even 40, 50 years ago, it was a very sacred, private, special thing between a husband and a wife in marriage. Today, anybody, anywhere, at any time, however you want to do it, with as many people that you want to do it, however, whatever kind of people you want to do it, it seems to be that which is promoted in fact, it's actually become the moral compass of a lot of our culture that when you begin to talk about this thing called sacredness, you begin to feel a conflict like you're the one that's narrow-minded. I call that a compass that's pointing in the wrong direction. When you look at our entertainment industry, you turn on the TV today versus 50 years ago. 50 years ago, the number one TV show at that time was Father Knows Best. 
Ozzie and Harriet. I mean, it was pushing the edge when I Love Lucy came out, or maybe, maybe the, the Munsters. How many remember those shows? I just dated myself, didn't I? But now, I mean, the, the shows that are out there, these reality shows like The Bachelorette, this lady that's sleeping with and kissing on 25 different guys. I mean, hello. Right? Come on, guys. Let's be honest. And sometimes, and again, I'm not trying to be legalistic, but it becomes acceptable in our mind because culture has skewed our compass. You look at our laws today. Pornography, legal. In Nevada, prostitution, legal. Portland, ride your bicycle naked, legal. Come on, thousands. I mean, hey guys, how you doing? I mean, it's just like, right? Got your kids playing out in the front yard and here comes neighbor Ted down the street on his bike. I mean, it's just like, are you kidding me? Keep Portland weird. Here's the tragedy. We're living in a time where it's illegal. You can't hand out a Bible in school, but you can hand out condoms. Compass off. You need a parental permission slip to take an aspirin, but you can be escorted to the abortion clinic to have one without a parental permission. I look at that stuff, and again, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just trying to say that your compass, if if your moral compass is the sole indicator that dictates whether you are good or not, isn't good enough either. So let's look at another one. How about hurdle number three is this, that we have no clear list of good and bad. There's no clear list. I guess you could go back and say, okay, well, let's go back even though it may be culturally irrelevant and it doesn't fit in, let's go back to the Old Testament. Because there's this thing called commandments and there's these 10 commandments and God said you should obey those 10 commandments, right? Kind of. What we find when we really dig in, they were given to us to show us that we couldn't live up to them. Therefore, it paved a way for a a savior called Jesus to come. Galatians 3.29. But reality is, is there's more than 10 commandments. There's actually 613 commandments. And the further that you dive in, even to the New Testament, you find out that if you have broken one of those commands, you've broken them all. In other words, that all it takes is one time to sin to be a sinner, only one time to rob a bank to be a bank robber, only one time to murder to be a murderer. And when you break a law, you've broken them all. Therefore, you fall short of the glory of God. So maybe the idea is, well, let's just forget about the Old Testament. I mean, get that thing out of the way. Let's come over because, come on, Jesus teaches about grace and we're just gonna go to the grace message and really take a look at this. I love grace. I think grace is a good doctrine. But we've got to look at that Jesus also teached some hard sayings as well. There's also a couple epistles written by Paul that seem to kind of hit the grace message in its entirety head on. But just just take this one thought. Just follow me for a second because I know I'm probably challenging some people with this thought. 
Jesus said this. You've heard that it was said that adultery is wrong, right? So Jesus is coming and saying, hey, by the way, Old Testament, you read, it says that when you commit adultery, you're sinning against God. He says, but let me tell you something else. I say that if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you have already committed adultery. Ah! I mean, all the guys put beanies on down to their neck. I mean, it's kind of like, kind of look like, you know, Pac-Man or something. I mean, right? I mean, that's hard. That's tough. Jesus is saying it's not necessarily even your actions anymore as it is your heart and your intent. So if we push aside the Old Testament, grab upon the New Testament, and you go beyond Jesus' teaching, and you go now into Paul and start opening the book of Romans, Romans 3.10 says that there's none that does good, no, not one. None of you do good. I mean, we're trying to look at are you good or good or to get to heaven, right? He says no one does good. Romans 3.23 says that you all fall short of the glory of God, that if you do want a list, the list should be God in his perfection. You can't meet that. That's what he's saying. You can't do that. So he says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. What you deserve as a result of your idea of thinking you're good enough is eternal separation from God. So I don't think when I look at this idea, to me it's a hurdle because we don't have a clear list. And even if we did and could define it, we couldn't measure up to it. So let's look at another hurdle. You can't reconcile good in an unfair system. Reality, life is unfair. You look around you and you wonder why People can live 90 years old that are terrible in our eyes, but people that are good die of cancer at a young age. I mean, you look, you look at the injustice that we talked about a couple weeks ago, and you look at classism and sexism and racism and prejudices, and we live in this broken down system where fair just doesn't seem to work very well. But let's say that we could get a list and we put it on our refrigerator How do you begin to even define what that list looks like? Once it's there, how do you score yourself? So I wake up in the morning and I've got my little thing here and I pull my pen out and I start saying, okay, I had 32,615 thoughts today. Let's see, okay, 15,400 and good thoughts. Whoops, that was a bad thought. Good, bad, 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 good, good. And we mark them all. Maybe 70%'s the mark that you feel confident with. Okay, if I'm 70% good, I can make it. Where's the mark? Where does your confidence begin to wean? Well, maybe it's 51%. Maybe it's 10%. How do you even score it? On top of it, when stuff happens to you that maybe you didn't even initiate. I mean, just just think about it for a second. Someone does road rage against you, and all of a sudden, something boils up, you get mad, and you're going, I didn't even create that, and I got mad. I mean, is that enough to get you out of heaven? I mean, you take it as far as someone doing something to you, even physical abuse or sexual abuse or emotional abuse or verbal. I mean, you look at that and somehow inside of us, we begin to justify those things that the Bible would call sin and we want to cancel them out saying, not my fault. How do you equate all that? Here's what I found. It's impossible 
to judge fairness in a system that's broken. So it really boils down to this, this last one, which I find the most perplexing. Hurdle number five is this. Jesus threw us curveballs by overlooking badness with forgiveness. Stop and think about this for a second. Because this is what we don't like, but it's reality. I thank God that it's reality because I would fit into the bad category. So would you. If you want it to be fair, well, I'll go to hell. That's fair. But Jesus comes in and he says, I didn't create a system based on goodness. We need to replace that with an alternate view and we need to base our entry based on forgiveness, not goodness. You look at Jesus with the prostitute and he's got a room filled with people that thought they were good, religious leaders and Pharisees and his disciples. And they're all sitting around and a lady comes into the room, which is a prostitute. She's a pavement princess. And she begins to cry on his feet and wipe his feet. And everyone else is looking at her based on her badness and their goodness saying, what in the world do you think you're doing, Jesus? And he says, because she has loved much, she's forgiven much. He didn't say, because she's good. He wasn't talking about her entrance into heaven or into a relationship with Jesus based upon what she did, based upon what he did. So he says, your sins are forgiven. The measuring rod was forgiveness, not goodness. The thief on the cross, as he's, hey, this is a notorious criminal. He's been prosecuted. He's facing his judgment. He's been nailed to the cross next to Christ. And he cries out at the very last. He hasn't even had the opportunity to do one thing good. It's done. It's over. He's hanging. He can't even do anything. But he says, Jesus, today, remember me when you get into your kingdom. And Jesus turns and says, today, most assuredly, I say to you, you'll be with me in paradise. It wasn't his goodness, it was Jesus' forgiveness. So can we help the world today, help our friends, maybe if you're here today, maybe change our thought to an alternate view? I'm going to take my idea that goodness is the entry point, and I'm going to switch it out for forgiveness as the entry point. You know, we talked just a couple of weeks ago about this idea that Jesus was the only way. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father 
but through me. And we talked about this idea. Everybody on the planet will get to God, but only a few will get through to God, and that's through Jesus. See, forgiveness is this idea that we understand that you and I have to pay a penalty for our sins. And that might seem a little bit pushy, if you will, but we live in a culture today that that's just normal. It's logical. If you speed, you pay a a ticket, right? If you rob a bank, you go to. If you murder someone, you yeah, great. You go to prison, whatever. Maybe, maybe there's a death penalty attached. What about, forget the laws of man, what about laws of nature, laws of God, gravity? You jump off a building, you spot, right? I mean, it's just, there's this idea that when you violate a law, there's a penalty to be paid. God said, That because you fall short, the penalty that you should pay is separation from God. It doesn't seem fair. To me, it doesn't seem fair that I was born into this world with a sin nature and I didn't have any say-so in the fact that I would be born with that sin nature. Psalm 51.5 says that when, at the moment of my conception that I was born into sin in my mother's womb, and before I, it's not even that I, I was a bad kid and I, I sinned, inherent to my nature, born into this world, I was born in a sin nature. That's not fair. Furthermore, it's not fair that there's nothing that I can do to pay the debt to get me into heaven. Now, I can pay the debt by going to hell or somehow, some way, I'm going to pay the price. That's not fair. Here's what's not fair, too. It's not fair that Jesus, the only person to ever walk planet Earth, came down from that to die for you and me in our place when he didn't deserve it. He came and died for you, paid your price of your sin so that you had the chance at eternal life. That's not fair. The reality is this, is that salvation isn't fair. Allowing or giving giving you the privilege to make it to heaven isn't fair that you would receive that free. By grace, not by works. You could receive that free. That's not fair. So God in his infinite wisdom, he took a look at this whole idea, do good people get to heaven? And boy, I wish they weren't so distracted and thinking wrong. Here was the way he made it in his infinite wisdom. I want to make it so that it's fair for everyone in this way. Everyone is welcome. No matter what you've done, no matter how bad your life is, 
No matter the mistakes that you've made, even though you might think you're better or worse than other people, he says this, let's clear the slate and let's just simply say, everyone is welcome. That's hard because you, you, you look at this criminal and you look at this prostitute and you put it into modern day times and you think of a guy like Jeffrey Dahmer who, who murdered and dismembered 17 men and boys. You would think if anyone should be separated from God, if anyone deserves hell, it would be him. But he would give his life to Christ in prison, get baptized meet with the pastor weekly that would validate his genuineness of his conversion? I mean, how can that be that Jeffrey Dahmer makes it? Because it's not based on goodness. It's based on forgiveness. And see, what that does for every person in this room, everybody that hears my voice, everybody that's listening, listen, no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad your life is, no matter how dark it looks, no matter what you've done, listen, listen, listen. He says, you're welcome. You're welcome. I forgive everyone. Everybody is allowed. If you can come to that place to recognize that, yes, I am not good. Yes, I fall short of the glory of God. Yes, you came and died for me. He says, if you would just confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that I'm Lord, you'll be saved. The most famous verse in the Bible that we talk about, John 3, 16, it's at every football game. For God so loved the world, you, everyone, that he came and he sent his son and if we believe in him, it says we wouldn't perish, meaning we wouldn't be separated. We would have an entrance into heaven. Why? Because of what Jesus did, not what we do. Would you do me a favor this morning? I'm going to have the bands come up to the platform. I'd like you just, just to settle in for a moment. Just close your eyes and bow your head for a second. Those of you that are online Maybe you're listening to a podcast later on. Just, just, just stop what you're doing. Forget about your meal, your kids, everything else. Just, just stop. Just close your eyes. Because I really want to come to this one question, really. It's this. Do I want to continue to score myself based upon my goodness or just receive his forgiveness? When it's all said and done, it really comes down to that choice. I know there's some people here that walked in here. Maybe you've been invited by a friend. Maybe you just saw us online or maybe even came with one of your PBC students, whatever it might be, wherever you're at. Maybe you have based your entire belief system the stability and the security of afterlife in heaven based upon being good. And today you recognize that being good will never be good enough. Here's the good news. You just can be forgiven. 
you just have to recognize that, yeah, you do fall short, but it's what makes the gospel, the cross of Jesus, all the more glorious. The fact that the only one that could pay the price for you was Jesus. And when we accept them into our life and just say, this isn't about goodness, this is about forgiveness. You get a new nature, you get a new start, and you can secure a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus, abundant life here on earth, eternal life after you go, simply by just coming to that place where you say, Jesus, forgive me. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. I want you to come into my heart and make me new. If you're here this morning, again, with with every head bowed and eyes closed, and you're here this morning and you're saying, you know, I realize today I'm not good enough, but I need Jesus' forgiveness. Maybe, Maybe you've come to church for a while and this delight just went on. Whoever you are, do me a favor wherever you're sitting, slip your hand up. Say, Pastor Mark, you're talking to me right now. Come on, without thinking. Right there, boom, thank you. Come on. Who else? Just lift your hand. Thank you. Put your hand up. Ushers, if you wouldn't mind helping me. Come on, just put your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Come on, let's just make sure. Maybe maybe you're even questioning today and you're going, I just want thank you. Thank you. I want to make sure. I want to make sure that my salvation and relationship, thank you, thank you, is based on forgiveness, not my goodness. Church, would you would you pray this prayer with me and This is especially for those of you that raised your hand. The Bible talks about if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, that we'll be saved. And so we do this prayer often that really is just kind of that God moment for you. So would you pray this with me? Entire church, pray. Say, dear Jesus, I thank you that you went to the cross and that you died for me. I recognize today that I'm not good and that I fall short of your glory. My entry into a relationship with you is not based on my goodness. It's based on your forgiveness. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Live inside of me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, put your hands together for Jesus this morning. Woo! Come on. Amen, amen, amen.